Hey, local listeners, this is your host, Rob Kohansky. Welcome to another episode of Local First Podcast, where each week I interview local business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. What we do is we share their story of success and challenges and their journey and how they became a community leader. I truly believe that behind every small business is a story that needs to be shared. I want to put a big thank you to my sponsors, Exacta Corporation, Think Possibilities, Think Exacta. Rare leaders, connect, collaborate, contribute. Where leaders come to thrive and grow. Make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss an episode, as well as always love your feedback. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to another episode of Local First Podcast. On today's show, I have uh, Axel Meyerhofer. Did I get that right? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Okay. Welcome to Local First Podcast. Uh, He is the CEO of Ideal Wealth Grower. Welcome to Local First Podcast, Axel. How are you doing today? Hey, Robert. Thank you for having me. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, doing great. So uh, before we get into, you know, what you're doing with people to uh, help them uh, leave a legacy through real estate and um, those really good things about that and and ideally, you know, using real estate as as a good way to exchange time for money, um, give the listeners a little bit of your background and how did you get involved in, in your journey into this? Well, originally, and there's still some of the accent as your audience and you can hear, um, I'm originally from Germany and came over here in an exchange program with the Air Force where you literally take on an Air Force officer's job. So I flew 111s for the assistant director of operations of a wing here and my buddy went over and took over my job. And um, during that process, I basically got introduced um, into real estate in an indirect way Uh, If you like, we can dig into this a little more. And then after that, I retired from the Air Force, became an executive in a software company. And then ultimately in 2005, started my own business, which is still existing and is mainly focusing on consulting. And Ideal Wealth Grower is one component of that that came out of the fact that I have done quite a bit of real estate investing myself as a retirement plan for my consulting company or for my family, if you want. And a lot of people said, hey, you know, you should talk about this and what you did. I never heard that that is possible and stuff like that. So ultimately, when the pandemic gave us unexpected time, we said, okay, <laughs> let's put this out, right? Like, I mean, it's not that we didn't have it. We have been doing it for a long time, yeah. but it wasn't available to the public. And so now it is. That's awesome. So what led you from the transition from uh, your your job at the Air Force and, and what led you becoming into, uh, like you said before, is like indirectly being a real estate investor? Well, what happened is um, I first, like I said, did this exchange job. And when we thought we would go back to Germany, I was asked to do um, take on the role of a project manager in a um, U.S. Air Force base establishment where Germans and U.S. Air Force um, aviators would work together. And the idea was that they didn't want to have everybody live on base and be separated from the community. So we were approaching the city and say, hey, you know, would there be a possibility to kind of interlace the housing and stuff for the people? Let me take a zip here. So that our our people, our officers and our technicians and stuff could work and live in the community. And they said, yeah, that would be great. But the problem is that we are a relatively small town of 25,000 people. 
And our builders just don't have the capacity and access to the funding to build like dozens of houses. And so I went to the government, the German government, my buddy project manager on the US Air Force side went to his government and we both came back with the answer, well, we can assure for the duration of the project, which was 19 or almost 20 years, that the government would cover the rent. And so then that meant, okay, the banks could give the builders the money to build the houses and basically the rent was assured. So it was basically a good deal. And I was driving back from that conversation, from that announcement to the city that that would be the, the path, thinking to myself, you know what? The government is paying the rent. Shouldn't I do something like that myself, right? And yeah. so I looked around and I lived in a nice neighborhood and there was a house for sale and a house being built. And one of the builders who had built my house now got involved with building a house uh, under this program. And I said, hey, you know, I want to be part of that deal. And that was my first foray. I had no clue about what I was doing, except knowing that I would never have to worry about the rent. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a really cool story. There. You know, what were some of the, some of the challenges in, in getting started? Uh, like you said, you didn't really know a whole lot. You just jumped right in. Well, the thing about it is I, I didn't know how to evaluate a property. I didn't know if I got good or bad financing. Um, I didn't know how to vet uh, a tenant or that you could do something like property management and not really have to do it yourself. Now, in this initial case, it wasn't a problem because it was literally like, I mean, a, a, a walk from our house to that house, right? But it also brought in things where you would say, okay, what can happen? Like one of the anecdotes, which was a real eye-opener to me, was that you would think people, uh, especially, you know, they were colleagues of mine, basically, on, on the base. There's kind of like a basic understanding, right? So... I thought fireplace is not something that really unusual, mm -hmm. right? Come to understand, I get a, um, a call on my, at the time, landline fire department telling me, hey, aren't you the owner of the house? We have just been called. You might want to come over. Now, this is small city, right? Like, so everybody knows everybody. And I was known like a, like a purple dog or something like that because <laughs> I worked with the city manager. I was the guy who brought these weird Germans into the city and all that kind of stuff, right? So I go yeah. to the house and uh, everybody is there, fire department, everyone. And I'm saying, you know, what's happened? And is the house okay? And stuff like that. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry. It wasn't really a fire. I said, what the hell? You know, why didn't you call me? So we go in the hall. It has like one of these open floor plan, huge living rooms. And everything in the corners and on the ceilings looked like black and sooty. I said, what the hell, right? You said there was no fire. They said, yeah, there was no fire. The person, he, he was very generous, right? Like he said, the person who started the fireplace didn't know to open the chute. Oh, no. And so they let the fire run for a while and didn't even realize because when you're sitting in the middle of it that it kept Get going up. Yeah. And it was like literally everything was black. And, um, you know, I learned that intelligent or supposed to be intelligent officers don't necessarily know that a fireplace has a chute that you need to open, right? And so <laughs> that was a pretty expensive lesson to learn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt. So, you know, from, from there, how did you start building your portfolio? And, you know, what kind of like criteria did you use to start building that? Well, one of the things that I, um, you know, I wouldn't say force, but it kind of happened or happenstance, I guess some people would call it is that we were moved around, you know, in the military and then even after retiring from the military quite a bit. And every so often there was a situation where 
it wasn't necessarily the best idea to rent something when you could buy it for an affordable price. But then after two or three years or so, when we were moved to the next location, it wasn't also always the best uh, time to actually sell again. So we, I call this the Hensel and Gradle strategy. We kind of left these crumbs behind on our journey through the different locations uh, and had basically a small portfolio of rental properties but they were not really looking after the things that I'm preaching these days in Idea Wealth Grower, which is one really core term that a lot of people don't necessarily have on their radar when it comes to real estate. And that is the term or the word performance, right? We basically lived in the house and then moved out and rented it and didn't so pay so much attention whether it was really performing well, as long as the rent that we were collecting, we were covering the mortgage and insurance and taxes and stuff. Right. Nowadays, if you compare that, we really vet the properties to look at the value uh, and, and, um, and the rental income and that comparison. And we're trying to apply the 1% rule, which means if you buy a $100,000 property, you want to be able to collect about $1,000 of rent per month. At the time, we didn't do this. But one thing that there is an evolution, right? Like So initially, first house didn't know anything, pretty much. Second house in New Mexico, when we moved away, I said, okay, so we will be so far away. There's, you know, we need to do something with property management. And so we asked around and hooked up with the best, at least best reputation property management company in town. And they were, and it was really, really pretty hands off. And the nice thing was uh, the property never had more than a week of empty, right? Like they, as soon as the tenant said, Hey, I'm pretty much going to move out. They had already the next one lined up. So no empty uh, payments. And um, yeah, it was a really, really good relationship. And we were introduced to positive cash flow that way. Right. And then yeah. later on, we had lived in a larger property in a more expensive place in the Santa Barbara area and exchanged that into high performing properties in the Midwest. So there was this evolution to now having 10 properties in the portfolio. Okay. And you mentioned like being out on the, the West Coast and buying properties, uh, you know, in the Midwest, you know, right. what are some of the challenges that you find with that? And, you know, with property management companies, you know, how do you go about vetting them to make sure that you're getting the best, uh, you know, the best management and the best deals out there? Yeah, for me, what I had to learn and what I'm now actually suggesting for the people that come to us and, and ask for help and mentoring and coaching and stuff like that. Um, is that when you are too far away to really handle a property yourself, the best way that I found, and we call that the out-of-state turnkey strategy, is that you find a really well-reputed um, turnkey company that is finding the property, renovating it, selling it to me as the investor or any investor that works with me, and then also manages and the reason for that is that there are dependencies. I call that the virtuous triangle, the dependency between, okay, if I find a property that needs to be renovated so it can be sold for a reasonable price in the market and appraises for, for that sale price, and then I'm also managing it, there is this dependency. If I don't renovate it well, then I have all the problems as the management company later on. So I might as well renovated well, maybe even a little better than, than I really, really needed to. And this is one of the issues that you oftentimes run into uh, from not too bad situations where somebody buys a property, finds a local property management company. And if something breaks in the first year or two, it's always this squabble of and whose responsibility is it? Is yeah. it the company that renovated it or the guys that sold it to me or the property management company? 
all the way to the horror stories where people bought properties basically off a website and found out later that the property doesn't even exist or it's just like a shack with you know all kinds of horror stories so oh yeah for me that's why i'm always saying you know even when i work with these uh, i only have a handful and i always recommend only the handful of turnkey companies we're working with but even with that i go and spend a few hundred dollars unless we have pandemic right but normally spend a few hundred dollars and fly and actually touch the property and make sure it's what I'm buying, right? I mean, you think about it, even if you might say from a West Coast perspective, a $100,000 house is comparatively cheap, quote unquote. But still, I mean, how many times in your life do you normally spend $100,000 on anything, right? And so I always say, you know, nobody buys a $100,000 car without ever seeing it, right? So why would you then say I buy a house off the website without ever going there and touching it? That's so true. That's so true. How does it, you know, one that for the listeners that are, you know, you know, interested, peaking interest in, in what you're talking about, you know, what is it that they have to have, you know, whether it be a mindset or, you know, the paralysis of going through all this, you know, to really, you know, you know, there's a lot of fear out there. It's like, you know, you know, am I making the right choice? Am I buying right. the right property? If I don't like this property, you know, how do I exit the property? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from mindset perspective, um, I, I want to thank you for bringing that up. I basically ran into this with a whole bunch of people that we are working with or initially started working with. And I call it the difference between a creator mindset or a victim mindset. So if you look at mainly all the things that could go wrong, that um, you know, you have seen as like what I call horror stories and all of that kind of thing, you might get yourself in the mindset of, oh, if I do anything with my money, especially something that I'm not that familiar with, I'm going to get, you know, screwed and, and, and cremated and whatever terms you want to use. And I'm suggesting if you put yourself into a creative and creator mindset and you say, why am I doing this in the first place? Right. So in my case, it started out as building a retirement income, but now it's also to basically build a legacy so my daughter can take over when I'm no longer around and her kids and their kids and everybody in the future will have a foundation of income that is not dependent on the economy or on employment or anything like that. Right. So that's for me a really strong motivating goal. And I actually went as far as creating a mindset manual that I would recommend for your audience to to download it's at idealwestroa.com they can download it for free and then on youtube we did an eight part series of videos that go along because sometimes you know you can go through an exercise and that's one thing but somebody explaining a little bit on what does it really take to get into this motivation and high energy mindset and then it's a matter of reaching out to people who are actually helping you because Fundamentally, as in any area that is in, you know, in finance, I would say, but there are other areas too. And nowadays, I think it's more and more true in almost anything you look into. As soon as you scratch a little bit the surface, you find there's this whole universe of stuff that you weren't really aware of. And sure, you can go on websites and you can read and buy books and, and go to courses and all kinds of stuff. If you are willing to basically exchange your time for the money that you're saving by finding somebody who's already done it, right? So yeah. you, you're putting in the time or what I naturally appreciate and why we put Idea Rights Grower out there is basically to say, if you want to shrink that and get to the point where you actually buy your first property sooner, but without the fear that you make a huge mistake or lose all your money or stuff, then you connect with somebody like what we are offering and myself 
to say, I open all my relationships, all my experience, everything is completely open book and I'm here to help you, right? And if you tell me what you're looking for, we can work together to figure out what is the best solution for you. And if our approach, this residential real estate investing approach in out of state using turnkey is the right for you or not, then if it's not, then I'm the first person to say, hey, I have a huge network of people I can hook you up with if you want to do something different. Excellent. Sounds like you have a lot of resources for the individuals or people, investors that um, they're right. out there in regards to what way they're going. So with that, you know, what are some like three to five, you say like three things that a potential investor, you know, must know to get started? Well, the first thing I think you must know, but you also, it's a matter of awareness is that this myth that you need a huge amount of money to get into real estate investing is just not right. And it's not true. I always say, if you can see a path to get 15 to $20,000 in an account or out of a retirement or somehow get your hands on 15 to $20,000, then you are ready to start investing in your first property. Now, keep in mind that that is also possible because 80% of the purchase price comes from the bank, right? So you buy a $100,000 house, you put 20 in, 80 comes from the bank. So that is something that a lot of people are not aware of because they're looking at I'm buying something for myself versus investing. There's a distinct difference. The second thing is get advice or help from people who have done it before and can literally show you. And that second part has become more important because there are lots of people who claim to have done or claim that they have learned something. When you say, okay, show me your properties. Where are they? Can I see a picture? Can I get an address? it gets a little different, right? So for me, like on bigger pockets, for example, literally listed all the properties that we have, if somebody wants to actually take a look at that. And then the, the third part I would say is come up with criteria that define what your goal is, or what I call the big, hairy, audacious goal. I always recommend if people work with us to come up with what we call the economic independence point sometime in the future. And that is not a point that is like a geographic location. It is more something that is for you individually or for your family to determine when can we reach a point of income from our investments so we no longer need to exchange time for money. So in your case, Robert, you might say in my area, if I stay here and I do what Axel is suggesting, my number is $4,500 or $4,000 a month. Here in San Diego, my, my number is probably more between six dollars and $7,000 a month. If you were living in, let's say, Florida, your number may be $3,000 a month. Sure. But the point is more to say, okay, if I can get 300 bucks after I pay everything on the houses, the mortgage, insurance, taxes, everything, $300 per house is what I have left over at the end of the month. And I know I need... $4,200, for example, then I know I need 12 houses. Right. So if I have zero right now of investment houses, then what is the journey to get to 12 houses? So if you say, I try to get one every year after a certain accumulation time, it's probably about 15 years. So your big, hairy, audacious goal from whatever your age is right now is add 15 years and say, by then I'm going to have $4,200 or however much that is inflation adjusted in 15 years and maybe 5,000 or whatever, right? So that's basically the third part is you want to have a clear goal and then get into the creator mindset that we mentioned earlier so that you are constantly motivated to work on getting to that goal. So now you talked like 12 properties. At any given point, do you pivot from, you know, four or five properties to buying multifamilies or do any you know pivoting of that sort, or do you, is your goal just to focus on the single-family properties or duplexes? 
Well, in, in my system or in my approach, I have been thinking about this uh, multiple times. And I have come to the conclusion that unless you want to go beyond 20, and I explain if you like um, why 20, if you want to go beyond 20, I don't really see any reason um, to change the approach. Now, there's a difference, and this is something distinct, and other guests that talk about real estate may have pointed this out. There's a difference between a property, like when we say 10, 12, 15, 20 houses or properties, yeah. <laughs> and doors. So there, to, to explain this real quick, what people should know is there's something called residential real estate investing, which is literally, it falls all under the same rules as if you buy a house and move in yourself. And then there is what's called commercial and business and, and, and um, syndication and all these other ones that fall under completely different rules. So what I'm saying is you have the big benefit of when you stay within the residential rules, it's not just that other investors in the future, if you ever wanted to sell a property, would be potential clients or customers or purchasers. But everybody who would ever consider in that particular area where your house is to buy a house for themselves is a potential buyer for you. So that's way, way bigger than any other type of investing. Now, the other thing why I wanted to mention this is in this set of rules, you have single family houses. I'm basically recommending buy three bedroom, two baths or four bedroom, two baths. Yep. But you also have duplex, triplex, fourplex. So from the rule set, it says houses or properties. And you have, we call that the 10 golden tickets per person. The government has said, any person, Robert can have 10 mortgages, Robert's wife can has, have 10 mortgages. Um, other people, you know, if you have grown kids, they can have uh, 10 mortgages. So everybody has this 10 golden tickets. That's why I said 20, right? If you have a spouse and you get 10 properties and your spouse gets 10, you have 20. Now properties, if you imagine you start out, like I say, with your 15 to $20,000 and you buy your first three, four, five properties. And then at some point you say, okay, I want to kind of accelerate my income. It's typically a little better income if you have a duplex, triplex, fourplex. Right. right. That's still a property. That's still just one golden ticket. But now you have four doors in that one property. Exactly. And those four doors give you typically a little more each than you would have if you had four houses. So you're still not really in apartments or anything like that. But you could theoretically, if you were really like going completely crazy, you could say, I have 20 golden tickets, me and my spouse. And I turn everything over time into four plexes, you would have 80 doors. Wow. Right? And if you say, okay, each door pays, let's say $200, that's $10,000 a month. Mm -hmm. right or sixteen thousand actually well yeah sixteen thousand a month and you would still be within the same frame as you going out and buying a house for yourself that's why i'm saying it's kind of un unrealistic and unnecessary now keep in mind there are little things that the government does for you that they don't do for anybody else for investors like you and me they say you can get the mortgages government insured right. as soon as you say i want to buy an apartment company and say that's your deal if you say, I want to do syndication, the government says, that's your deal. But as long as you stay under this protected uh, umbrella, you get all these benefits just like any other homeowner. When, when they pass a CARES Act and the CARES Act says you, don't, uh, you can put your mortgage on forbearance, you can do that because you're in the same group of people. And that's, I think I could go on and on and on, and I don't want to bore your audience, but there is a lot of things to say. And I mean, I hope what comes across is we didn't just superficially say, let's do this one versus 12 other options. 
we really dug in and said, okay, what are all the benefits and what are the detriments? And we found the biggest one is, like I said, the number of potential buyers being like millions, theoretically. And then, you know, who needs more than theoretically 80 doors? Yeah. Really think about that, right? So from, and I don't know that anybody really has done that and went that crazy, but I mean, you could drive the numbers of your big, hairy, audacious goal really high and still stay within the same frame. Right? And you become the, the best client of any turnkey company if you keep adding door after door after door to your portfolio. So they will treat you better and better and better. Why would you ever leave them? I like that. So what's, what's got you fired up about the future? Well, for one, it's uh, I've been on this journey for quite a while. So I'm getting closer and closer to actually reaching my economic independence point. And um, I can't imagine that I wouldn't want to help people any longer, you know, when I get to that point, because it's also a passion. I, I guess maybe some of that comes across in our conversation. But a lot of the other stuff I mentioned when we started that I have a consulting company, I will definitely dial that significantly back. And there are certain places in the world that I would like to go to when we're done with the pandemic stuff that it's hard to do when you have all kinds of business stuff going on. So that freedom, you know, even though it's an expense, but that freedom to go whenever I want to, wherever I want to, that is something I really look forward to soon. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where, where do the listeners go to get additional information, Axel? Well, like we mentioned at the beginning, idealwealthdraw.com is uh, the first place to go. If you wait about 30, 40 seconds, there comes a little pop-up where you can actually get the free download. Um, you can write an email to me or fill out the contact form. My email is axel, A-X-E-L, at idealwealthdraw.com. And um, like I said, we have a little form. So all the different other social media, you know, Anybody can just put an idea wise grower in Google or Yahoo or something and go from there. And I'll, I'll make sure and put all that stuff in, in the show notes. That's some really good information. Uh, you got me excited. And I, I know my, I have a, um, a buddy that's uh, really excited about listening to this too. He actually, some of the questions I've been asking, um, uh, he sent in for me because he's out in the California area investing here in the, in the Milwaukee area. So um, it's really cool. So I'm yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of that's a big misconception. I'm glad that you asked the question, right? Just because you are somewhere thousands of miles potentially away from where these high performing assets are, that doesn't mean that you don't have access to them, you know, or that you can't find a scenario like we do with our turnkey providers that really make it almost like a, a completely passive form of investing. That's excellent. So I have just our last segment here, Axel. It's just a couple of rapid fire questions to have some fun. Okay. And then we'll go ahead and wrap this up. But before that, um, you get to ask me one question, any question, I'll do my best to answer it for you. Uh, what would you like your audience to do when they're done listening to us? Well, I wrap up every episode at the end of that. Uh, make sure you check me out uh, on uh, localfirstradio.stream. It streams our podcast and these uh, conversations 24-7. So I'll ask them to go there after this show and check out all the other cool episodes that I've done over quite over 100 of them so far. So check them out. All right. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere, what would it say? I think it would say, don't ever be afraid to be brave. Don't be afraid to be brave. I love that. I love it. And if you were to give a TED Talk speak outside of your expertise, what would it be? Outside of my expertise? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I would probably say how to become self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. And the last one, any ask or request for the audience and any last parting words? 
No, I mean, in this context of don't ever be afraid to be brave is be brave to get in touch with us, you know, contact us, go Instagram, Facebook, website, articles, email, contact form. The first step is to get in touch with somebody who is willing to provide you with help. There's no obligation, right? So instead of mulling, what could I do and where do I get it? Just take the first step. That's basically my request. That's excellent. Thank you so much for being on uh, Local First Podcast, Axel. It's been a really informational and uh, all that great wisdom that you were able to share there too. And again, guys, make sure you check him out um, at his website. I'll put that in the show notes. So check that out there. It's idealwealthgrower.com. And also like uh, Axel said, check me out on all social media. All you have to do is a search for a Local First Podcast. And if you like what you hear, you like what you're investing, reach out to Axel and make sure always uh, share with a friend and it doesn't hurt. So thank you so much, Axel. Thank you for having me.